Next on 2NURFM, Thursday Finance with Stephen Pritchard joining me, Jane Klein. And we're going to take a look at um, some of the things you might need to think about if you're wanting to start a self-managed superannuation fund. We'll also take a look at the market and have our weekly market snapshot, seeing what's happening there. Look at currencies and commodities and also the impact, perhaps, that might happen with the Office of State Revenue moving out of Newcastle. Stephen Pritchard, we hear that the Office of State Revenue is going to leave Newcastle. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, this is just another example of... uh business infrastructure being ripped out of the city. I mean, previously we had an office of the Australian Securities Commission. Uh, that that was taken away on the basis that all documents could uh, then be lodged um, electronically. Well, you know, a number of years later, that's still not the case. Um, documents still have to be manually processed and information, you still have to lodge various forms by paper and post them away and get them back. And I think the same thing will happen with the Office of State Revenue. They'll argue that, you know, documents can be lodged electronically. I mean, most people's... Um, Dealings with the Office of State Room will be payment of stamp duty on their um, housing conveyances, or unless they're going to abolish that, of course, that'll be a plus. What else do they do? The Office uh, of they State collect Revenue. the Office of State Revenue basically collects the state taxes, so it's um, you know land tax, um, stamp duties, um, payroll tax. Um, all those taxes that most people don't come in contact with, uh, but the biggest business community is usually paying them. And you know, the, the the office in Newcastle will be collecting a lot of money, and now it's going to be moved away. Moved away. Uh, you, know, in the, in the, you know, can is payroll tax lodged electronically these days or not yet? Um, yes, Maybe it may, is. Yeah. So that's one thing that at least. Yep, but is the up documents there. that have to be stamped have to be lodged over the counter, so that they're, they're going to have to be posted away. Yeah, there must be some things that still aren't quite um, able to be done all electronically. Oh, there's lots yet. of securities commission documents that still have to be posted away. And, and, you know, why does it – but they're not saying that. They're just saying they're going to relocate it to Gosford. I mean, why, why would it go from New South Wales, the second largest city, to a smaller city? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there's no explanation. No explanation. No explanation. It's closer to Sydney. Oh, well, then why, why move it to Gosford at all? <laughs> yes. I mean, really, if the state government was about cutting costs, they'd, they'd close the Office of State Revenue in Sydney and relocate it up. Yeah, I mean, the Australian Taxation Office just basically closed their office in Hurstville after they discovered that it would be a lot cheaper to run it in regional areas than in, in, in the centre of Hurstville, um, which was no surprise to anyone. Um, but, you know, it would be a lot cheaper to run the Office of State Revenue, not in Sydney. It seems to go in cycles that uh, whatever government moves yep. things out mm. of the centre and then moves and, them back And in. all this moving costs a huge amount of money. Mm. Huge, yes. and letterheads, of course, have to be letterheads, reprinted. Changes of names, mm. um, all yeah. of that. They opened the offer. They opened the birth, deaths, and marriages offices in um, Hamilton not so many years ago, a few years ago, and now that's gone. It's moved into um, into Parry Street. Okay, yeah, so, but it's still know, in the area. Oh, well, well, actually, it's been consolidated in that thing called Service New South Wales. Mm-hmm. But you know how much did it cost to move it to to Hamilton, and how much did it cost to shut Hamilton, and then move it back into, you know, th- there's very little planning these government moves. I suspect mm. what seems like a good idea on the day. Mm. In the meantime, what's happening? In the meantime, um, in our commodity market, well, you know, the price of gold was pretty similar, um, sixteen hundred and six dollars an ounce. Um, Silver is nineteen dollars eighty an ounce. Um, copper is six thousand three hundred and fifty dollars a ton. 
Um, nickel price is 11187 which was the only really mover on the week, which being up 2, 2.3%. Um, and the currencies, um, the Australian dollar was, was down about 1% on the week to $0.76. Cents. Um, it's, it's still high and it's still far above what the Reserve Bank um, would like it at um, because that's uh, affecting our exports. Um, the Great British Pound, we're, we're up up against the Great British Pound by about 1% to 53 uh, pence. And compared to the euro, we were down about 1% cent, 1% to 66 euro cents. Um, with the equity market, the, the Australian market continues to to drift. Um, we were down 1.2% on the week to 5,024. Um, the, the Dow Jones, which is the US market, um, was 17,716, which is a steady on the week. And the UK FTSE index was 6,161, which is also um, down about half a percent on the week. Um, the the crude price continued, the WEX test intermediate crude price continues to fall. Um, that's down about 5% on the week to $47 a barrel. And the price of uh, fuel in Newcastle um, was down 1.2% of the week to a dollar and four cents per litre for unleaded petrol. And with the school holidays coming up next week, Jane, do you think it might go up next week? Oh, I'm not going to hazard a guess. Well, Brett will be here, so he can. He can. Brett will be here next Brett week. Brett will be here. Brett will be next week, so he, <laughs> he can, can report on, on uh, <laughs> whether the uh, crude oil price uh, the unleaded petrol might go up. Um, Sydney's Sydney's unleaded petrol price was down 14 percent on the week to to a dollar one. So Sydney's just just on the dollar mark again. So there's still four percent. Um, we'll see what happens next week. Um, and the diesel price in Newcastle was a dollar thirteen a litre compared to Sydney uh, eighty three cents. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The diesel price in Newcastle was up a dollar one one point one percent, which is a dollar fourteen cents a litre. And the Sydney price was was basically about one percent up as well to a dollar seven a litre. So there's about a seven cents a litre price in the diesel price in between Newcastle and Sydney. So we will see what happens with the school holidays coming up next week. Thursday Finance, thanks to our our sponsors, Pritchard and Partners. And Stephen Pritchard, it's you and me looking at the market today. And uh, it seems that Westpac um, is in the firing line from ASIC about market manipulation. Yeah, well, I mean, this all started, it's been going on for about 12 months or so, and, and the Securities Commission has been investigating the, the big four banks, um, allegedly um, have been manipulating the market in the bank bill swap rate. And then, then they tried to do a then the Securities Commission tried to do a deal with the ANZ Bank to get them to admit that they'd um, that they'd been manipulating the market. And the ANZ turned around and said, "No, no, no, we're not admitting that at all." And um, then ASIC decided to prosecute the ANZ, and the the chairman of ASIC um, suggested that the best advice for ANZ was to plead guilty. And the chairman of ANZ came out and said, "No, no, we're not guilty, and we're going to fight this in the court." Now, now that ASIC's now decided that um, Westpac has also uh, been allegedly manipulating the market, and uh, they're going to try and prosecute Westpac, and um, Westpac's turned around and said, "Well, we haven't been manipulating the market, and the matter's going to be um, vigorously defended." Now, what what the Securities Commission is saying is that there was a number of banks overseas who who were alleged to have manipulated the market, and the various regulatory bodies um, extracted large fines from them. and But as far as I know, none of these matters ever went to court. They were basically settled out of court with the regulatory bodies. And 
what's now happened here is the two banks that ASIC have decided to prosecute said, well, we're not going to settle. We're going to... Um, vigorously defend. Vigorously defend the matter. Now, the worrying thing about this, of course, is these are, these are actually civil proceedings. Now, um, what that means is if ASIC actually loses the matter, they risk getting costs awarded against them. Now, you're taking on two of the largest corporates in Australia who've basically got unlimited amounts of money to defend themselves. Because that's where we put all our money. Yes, well, that's where they put all their money. And, and there was a case uh, a few years ago where that Seven Network took on and they got caught and they lost and got costs awarded against them. And the costs ran to $100 million that mm. Seven Network had to pay in legal costs. Now, we've now got two banks that you know, would easily spend fifty to one hundred million dollars to defend themselves. Now, I just wonder what what's going to happen if if ASIC does lose the matter. Um, is the commission going to resign when they've got this huge amount of costs and they've taken the court says that they shouldn't have prosecuted? Mm. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting if this actually proceeds and 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 Gets the legal the legal in, mm. bill in this is going to be horrendous. Yes, yes, yes. Which of course the taxpayer will be picking up. Mm. Yes, ASIC is, of course, part of us, isn't it? Funded we by fund- the taxpayer. Mm. It's an mm. extremely profitable organisation. Mm. Yes. Well, okay, and moving on to copper, it seems we don't have or we're expecting to be uh, able Yes, well, a number of, of the big resource companies, in which we spoke about previously, Rio, Rio was looking at buying um, copper assets because there's a predicted copper shortage in, the, in coming in the future. And, and that, that's basically because the copper price has been low for a long time and a lot of the marginal producers have shut down which will which will allegedly cause the price of copper to, to rise in the future as a shortage comes. So Rio's talked about buying um, additional copper assets and of course uh, BHP is sitting on the Olympic Dan which is which is supposedly a bonanza situated in um, South Australia, and, and they they acquired um, that when they took over Western Mining Corporation. So so you know a couple of years ago. You know, when all these commodity prices in the doldrums, BHP said that they were going to um, scale back the, the development of Olympic Dan and save billions of dollars and then promptly went and spent it on the oil shale business in the US, which now has to write off $20 billion. So now they've come back and said they think the copper price is going to increase. Um, they're going to scale up production of uh, Olympic Dam, which is situated in South Australia, and take advantage of this predicted copper shortage. Uh, let's just hope it's not another... Um, Mm. Uh, um, oil shale disaster. <laughs> yes, definitely. Now, it's all over the news at the moment that Arium... Uh, another which... disaster from South Australia, yes. And that, of course, was part of BHP. Yeah, Arium, Arium, was, Arium was part of BHP. It was BHP split itself, um, you know, it must be about 10 years ago now, um, into to a number of companies. Um, there was Blue Scope, which... which picked up the Port Kemmler Works and, and there was Arium which picked up the steel works in Wailea and some of the secondary processing works in Newcastle which remained after the closure of the BHP Steelworks. Now the the, the Blue State business on the Central Coast is basically stuck to uh, what they were originally. Um, the business is quite cyclical because, uh, you know, steel production is, you know, another commodity business and cyclical. And Bluescape's going particularly well at the moment as, you know, the share price is going up. Um, uh, Arium, unfortunately, decided that they wanted to expand their um, iron ore mining business. So at the peak of the uh, peak of the iron ore cycle, they borrowed a lot of money uh, to buy another iron ore mine. And of course, ever since then, um, the price of iron ore's um, fallen and they've had a couple of capital raisings. So 
you know, about a month ago, they they had this last ditch raising to 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 get additional investors in. Um, there was a U.S. hedge fund that would agree to stump up some money, and that was provided that the bank wrote off the banks, the current lenders wrote off some of the debts. Well, the banks rejected that idea that they would take the loss, and we're talking about other financing options. And instead, um, what's happened now is the board of directors have put Arium into a voluntary administration. Mm, okay. So, so what this means is that you know the administrators at this at this stage have said the business will keep trading. Um, of course, the politicians are all running around now in a state of panic, and they should have seen this was going to come. Um, and there's a number of businesses in Newcastle that's still um, Arium, or, or previously it was called One Steel. Um, a number of businesses still in Newcastle that you know the old Commonwealth Steam Plant, the Wire Rate Works, and then in South Australia there's the Wire Steel manufacturing plant and uh, the iron ore business which is the the dead loss now you know from a from a from a, a national interest point of view this this raises another number of issues you know that that there's only two places left now that australian manufacturers can actually manufacture steel from from you know putting the iron ore and the coke and the coal together and the limestone i think and, and one of them's the yellow works and one of them's the the bluescape works now you would have thought from a strategic point of view in the future um, we need to keep those steel work plants going um, and I don't think you know if anything happens if there's another war and we've got no capacity to produce um, basic steel we're going to have a big problem mm-hmm. so it'd be interesting to see what deal gets done at the end of the day um, and, and who ends up owning the steelworks because I think that you know common sense will say that we have to keep these steel plants running. This is Thursday Finance with Stephen Pritchard taking us through the market and seeing what's happening with um, all the different stocks and shares and businesses and things we've been with um, steel making and we're moving on to agriculture. So things are going to look up, so they well, say. Well, the managing director of West Farmers, Richard Goiter, said that um, he believes that Australia is entering a golden age of agriculture and he operates a, a farm um, personally, his family farm, and, and what he's predicting, um, he's going to expand that farm to take advantage of this um, so-called golden age of agriculture. Of course, the interesting thing is a few years ago, West Farmers owned Landmark, which is a big rural supply company, which would have benefited from the golden age of agriculture, and they sold that off. Um, but it's interesting to see what will happen there. Now, for the retail investor looking at exposure to the agriculture stocks here in Australia, there's not that a lot of options. I mean, we might be this big agriculture producer, but there's 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 limited exposure on the the listed market. Um, you know, there's Grain Corp, which gives you exposure to the grain silo business, but not directly. Um, there's Australian Agricultural Company, which gives you exposure to um, beef production. Um, there's another small company, um, Bundrum Ginger, which gives you exposure to to ginger and surprisingly it's also Australia's largest macadamia producer and it has macadamia nuts uh, farms in Hawaii if you've ever been to Hawaii um, macadamia nuts are sold everywhere in Hawaii and the the locals seem to think they're a native plant of Hawaii but they're they're actually from from Australia they're a Queensland plant aren't they yes yes Jane's shaking it she knew that but they they don't seem to know that in Hawaii Um, um, so anyhow, so but they also own the largest uh, macadamia plantation in Hawaii, and of course, uh, speaking of that, Select Harvest. Now, Select Harvest, I think, is a is a classic stock that that you can see what happens in agriculture. Um, the, the share price of Select Harvest has been falling recently, and for those of you who don't know, Select Harvest is Australia's largest almonds producer, and almonds seem to be becoming um, more and more popular. I notice we seem to have a big bag of almonds in. Uh, 
at, at home. Do you have almonds at your house? Too? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So a few, a, a few years ago, you probably wouldn't have had a bag of almonds, eh? Well, how big is your bag? Oh, just the one kilo. <laughs> oh, that's a pretty good size. But they are being sold. Yeah, they're the being sold at one kilo at supermarkets. Yeah, we, yeah. We're a few years ago, I don't remember anything. So, so anyhow, almond, almond consumption is going up, not only in Australia, but worldwide now. Select harvesters, why the share price has fallen in select harvest is is basically the other big state that produces almonds is California and California is predicting a bumper crop of um, almonds this year so therefore the price of almonds is is fallen so so over the last you know 10 years the price of select harvest has ranged from about $13 a share down to a couple of dollars and at the moment it's about $4 and we've just been discussing how low the price is going to fall before we should buy some but the, the the price of select almonds select is directly harvest. select harvest is directly linked to the almond price, and and so it's the same with these other agricultural stocks. I mean, uh, Bundrum ginger and uh, it will be linked to the price of what you can get for ginger and macadamians, and and the um, Australian agricultural prices share price will be linked to beef. So you've got to actually take a view on on the underlying agricultural prices before you invest in these. Um, agricultural stocks and they're the type of stocks that you know you should think when you're making a good profit you probably want to exit because it's similar to mining stocks um they're very cyclical um stocks i mean so they will go up they'll make down. boom profits at times and when the when the price of the agricultural or, or, or resource as we've seen with santos as well um falls those their stock price will fall and that will be partly at times dependent on the weather for agriculture uh, yeah, well, there's a lot more variables. Yes, the local local conditions of the weather, um, international demand. Um, you know, one of the reasons why um, select harvest was so high and the almond price was so high a couple of years ago was was they had this drought in California, which 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 um, which caused the almonds production in California to drop. So somewhere. In, for change, Australia actually benefit from a drought from somewhere else. Mm, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so agriculture, yes, I'm sure agriculture's got a bright future, but but it's not without risk. And I think you need to, you know, if you're putting a bit of agriculture stocks in your portfolio, just make sure that you look at buying them when the prices are low, not high. Ah, good thought. And how low select almonds, almonds are going to go, I don't. Select harvest share price is going to go, I don't, I don't know. But no it's starting there. to trade below the net asset book. Mm. So, you know. Okay. Now, moving on to energy. Origin Energy has had a debt, but it's... Ah, yes. Well, Origin Energy was at one stage not so long ago uh, regarded as a blue chip stock. And and this is once again, you know, a warning that blue chips don't always remain blue chips and, 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 you know, small stocks sometimes become blue chips. Now, Origin, the the problem Origin Energy's had is it it built this um, gas plant up at um, Gladstone, and for the exporting of liquid natural liquid natural gas to various markets around the world and as as we all know now that the price of liquid natural gas and and other energy prices has fallen dramatically with the with the price of the oil stock and origin borrowed a lot of money 
to fund the construction of this um, plant. So periodically the credit rating agencies come in and revo- you know, make a determinant of what, what you think that the uh, credit worthiness of the borough is. And Origin Energy has now been downgraded to triple B minus. Now triple B minus is significant because that's the lowest investment grade rating you can get. If they drop one more rating stage, Origin Energy's debt will be regarded as junk bond status. Ooh. Yes, and there's a lot of funds that that there's a lot of funds that invest in fixed interest have to invest in investment grade um, ratings. So you know if they if there's any further deterioration, you might see that the origin uh, debt um, drops further into junk status. Mm, okay, so and uh, entertainment wise, the entertainment world has really spread. Ah, oh, the entertainment. I mean, the entertainment stocks used to be, you know, the, the free to air television and the um, the uh, newspapers, the Fairfax Rivers of Gold, just used to be a license to print money. But things have changed dramatically in the last ten or fifteen years. Fairfax is basically on its knees. Free to air television's um, business is deteriorating, and Nine announced a profit downgrade this week and its share price pr- promptly dropped almost 30% in a day. Ooh, yes, so, so um, that that's probably going to recover. I mean, the market probably you know, overreacted a bit, but it just shows that the, the media the media is continually changing and it's even talk now that Fairfax and, and, and Nine might try to merge, but the media industry is continuing changing and once again, you need to, they're the type of stocks that you need to, to look very carefully about before you buy into those. Thursday Finance, and of course, if you'd like to ask Stephen Pritchard a question, do try to get through to us on our slightly dodgy phones at the moment, 49216216. And we're considering at the moment thinking about a self-managed superannuation fund, Stephen Pritchard. What are some of the things you really do need to think about? Well, I mean, a lot of people want to seem to want to set up self-managed superannuation funds because they've, they've heard it, it's a good idea from someone or other down at the local bowling club or or something like that, but they really don't know what they're getting themselves into. Um, and, and, you know, recently we've had a couple of people into the office, you know, they've set up these funds and, you know, they're just a, they're just a mess basically. And then you've got to try and fix them up. So they haven't thought it all through? No, and they, you, know, you know, and there is, there is some work involved. So I thought we'd just go through briefly a few of the differences. Yeah. Um, so with a self-managed superannuation fund, all the members are, are required to be the trustees. So, right. so they have to take on the trustee responsibilities. And with another fund, you haven't got any of that responsibilities. You have a licensed um, superannuation trustee, which is licensed by APRA, and they have to take on all the responsibilities of running the fund. Um, and this is important because the trustee of a self-managed super fund needs to have a basic understanding of tax and superannuation laws and make sure the funds comply with those laws. Look, we might just pause for a moment, Stephen, because Tony's rung in on 49216216 from Nelson Bay. And Tony, you've got... Whoops, no, (laughs) Tony doesn't seem to be there. Maybe that's our dodgy phone. Tony was there. Tony should have been... Oh, hang on, just a moment. Maybe maybe we've got Tony now. Hello, Tony. Hello. We've got you, good. You've got a question for Stephen. Yes, uh, what does he think the outcome will be for Santos? Well, the outcome of Santos will be will depend on the on what happens with the uh, price of oil, 
and 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 no one can predict that if the price of oil recovers Santos will be fine if the price of oil you know at one point depending on how low the price of oil goes Santos could be in serious financial difficulty um you, you know I, I don't know I don't have a crystal ball if you, you, what do you think do you think that they may uh, go with origin the two together I wouldn't have thought they would. I mean, what, 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 what? I mean, a lot of mergers are driven by economies of scale. Now, what, what economies are we going to get out of merging these two companies together? We've both got companies with big debt loads. Um, we've both got similar assets. Um, we're both held, um, you know, ransom by the commodity prices. And the other the other thing that, that Origin's got, and Origin's is a more complex company, and I would have thought there's more things that need to be fixed in Origin than Santos, because the other thing that Origin's got is this power distribution business. Now, I would have thought that the value of that is also declining. I mean, as, as the price of um, solar panels become, um, you know, more effective... People are going to want to use the, the the network less and less, and that that has to have an effect on Origin's um, profit. I mean, as an example, uh, you know, at work we're we're getting some quotes on putting some solar panels on the roof, and the, the payback period looks like about four years. So, you know, if we we spend the money up front, and in four years' time we've got all that back, at the end of four years, all that electricity is free. So, our, and the payback period is not as good on on um, residential because of basically the times you use the energy but 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 the cost of these things coming down the storage capability coming in uh, i think the power distribution companies have got problems so so if you're going to pick which stock to pick i'd 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 select the santos one rather than origin but i don't see any reason why they'd get together okay thank you very much good question thanks tony and uh, superannuation funds, uh, yes, members res- and trustees. Yes, trustees of superannuation fund have to take on some duties. And, th- and this means that, yes, yes, you can appoint your accountant to, to help you with it, but ultimately the responsibility is, responsibility is yours. And, 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 you know, the accountant's not there overlooking your shoulder every two seconds. So, you know, you know, you have to make sure that the dividends or the rents are banked into the superannuation fund account. You can't go and you know, go down to the local supermarket and, you know, oh, I've only got the checkbook. I'll just pay my grocery bill out of the superannuation fund or, or, you know, the daughter's wedding. You know, it can't be done. So, you know, unless you're going to be a bit accurate and, and take care with what you're doing and keep proper records, a self-managed superannuation fund really isn't for you and you'll get yourself into all sorts of problems. What about the investments? Because it does need to invest uh, in yep, things. Yep, the investments. You need, to, you need to have some idea about where you're going to invest. Now, a lot of people, a lot of people use the excuse that they want to set up a self-managed superannuation fund because they want to they want to have control. But when you ask them what that actually means, that they, they, they don't really know. Um, and the other thing people seem to be wanting to say is they want to sell up a superannuation fund because they want to put a, an investment property in there. They want a negative gear in investment property. But if you sit down and do the basic maths, none of that actually works. Mm. Yes, sure, you can put an investment property in there and sure, you can borrow the money from the bank. But but if you want to you want to do this on a negative gearing basis, most people are better off doing it outside of the super because the the tax deduction in super you get is a maximum of fifteen percent. Outside of super you're getting up to forty eight percent. So why you do it in a superannuation fund? 
I really don't know. Now, what about insurance? Because that's always part of the ah. Now, this is this is yeah. The Recently, there's been a change in um, the investment strategy requirements of a superannuation fund. Previously, the public offer funds. Um, made in had an option that you could elect insurance. Uh, the my super funds now all, all have a minimum of compulsory amount of insurance, and you can generally get um, higher levels of insurance if you if you require the insurance premiums um, in the public offer type funds, um, which are industry funds and the local nationwide superannuation fund and, and the retail funds. Um, the insurance prices are generally a lot cheaper because they get things called group policies than you would in a self managed superannuation fund. Self-managed superannuation funds, the trustees now have to consider whether they should offer an insurance benefit to members. Previously, they didn't have to do that, but they now have to do it. Now, I'd suggest if you've got a trustee and you haven't actively considered whether you should offer insurance to members and something goes wrong, the members may have an action against you. Mm, okay, so that's a problem. Now, there's lots and lots of laws and things that um, need to be yep. considered. Yeah, the regulators. The, the, regulation, the regulator of a self-managed superannuation is the ATO. You have to comply with the law. Um, the ATO in the past has, has generally been pretty reasonable in respect of regulating superannuation funds, except if there's some blatant um, things such as people uh, stealing the money, in which case they have... Yes, yes, you can look mm. like that. People take the money out of the cell phone and take the rest. Of it. People have been prosecuted and people have been jailed for breach of the, the, the regulations. And there's also a new penalty regime in on self-managed superannuation funds where the ATA can issue fines. Okay. So, so um, you know, uh, regular, other regulated funds, um, the trustee's responsible for all of that and the trustees get fined. Now, a lot of the cases, the fines are personally on the trustee and you can't reimburse yourself out of the fund. Okay. Now, uh, complaints? Uh, complaints, well, complaints? because you're the trustee. Yeah, um, complaining to yourself. You're basically <laughs> complaining to yourself and there's no external complaints mechanism. Um, you know, if there's two members, it may be possible that, you you know, you, you could end up in a court case which the only winner will be the loser uh, will be mm. the solicitors. Mm. Um, external superannuation funds have a complaints resolution mechanism, and there's an independent superannuation complaints tribunal which will hear those. Hmm. Okay. So, so in it's summary, fairly it, complex. Yeah. In summary, if you're wanting to 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 go into a self-managed superannuation fund, you need to think about the real reasons, and you need to have a discussion with um, your professional advisor. And make sure you're going to those for the right reasons. Mm, Thank you, Stephen Pritchard. And that is Thursday Finance for today. And we'll be back next Thursday after the midday news on 2NURFM.